Thank you, Caesar. Good morning, folks. How are we today? Am I standing in the right spot? Point me to the right direction if I'm not. Um, For those of you who are listening online, I just want you to know how much we miss having you here. I'm also loving looking out here and seeing our service uh, full, but we will make room, and there are going to be some things that you're going to miss out on online, but we are so grateful that you are watching. One of the things you're going to miss out on online is you're going to miss out that today we get to serve, have communion, share communion today, and you won't get to receive it from this tiny little package right here, but I'm going to give you guys some, uh, make sure that you are aware of a couple things. For those of you at home, if you don't have bread and a cup of juice somewhere, go ahead and make sure you get that. But I'm going to give these guys instructions here. Um, The body of Jesus is represented by the bread. Now, he is hidden in the tomb. Some of you don't realize that in the top of this thing, there's actually the bread that we will be using. And so just be sure when I get to the point of saying receive the bread, that you have to peel the top in order to get to that. But hold on to these for later, and we will use those. It is great to be here for those of you who are here for the first time, or if you're listening online for the first time, our lead pastor, Pastor Aaron Gibson, is on sabbatical until July the 15th. But I want you to know that um, I'm the executive pastor, and I'm one of the few who get to come and preach and bring God's Word to you while he's gone. But one of the other things that I get to do is I get to meet weekly with your staff. And I just want you to know how amazing your staff are. It is a true joy. You need to give a whoop-whoop for them. It's a true joy. Uh, to serve with these folks. And one of the things you're going to actually, you'll kind of wonder, okay, do we really miss Aaron? Because these guys are on it so much. And there are going to be some things you're going to miss about not having Aaron here, but I just want you to know how confident we are, and this uh, staff team is just unbelievable. But I do want you to know the signs of Aaron not being here are actually starting to show up. One of those signs I saw uh, this week, I came to the staff meeting uh, this Tuesday, and I showed up in the office, and this is what I found when I went to go get a pot of coffee. So this is a sign, let's go ahead and put this up on, this is a sign that Aaron's not here. This is mold in the pot of coffee. Now for those of you that know Aaron, he drinks a ton of coffee. I can assure you in the seven years that Aaron has been here, that pot of coffee has never had mold in it. Had I not shown up this Tuesday to make a pot of coffee, I'd hate to see what that would be like on July 15th when he showed up. But there are signs that Aaron is missed. That's one of those. But uh, I want you to know how grateful we are for your staff. For those of you who are moms in this room, let me say happy Mother's Day. For those of you who play the role of mom in so many people's lives, happy Mother's Day. We're so grateful for you. I also know that Mother's Day is not always easy for everyone. For some of us, uh, COVID may have taken your mom this year, and this is the first time that you've experienced and feeling some of that pain. And so I just want you to know that this morning I pray that the Lord would heal you or meet you in that healing. For some of you, uh, you've had a desire to be a mom, and for some reason, the Lord has not granted that desire. I wish I could tell you why. I can't. But I do pray that in today's sermon, somehow, some way, you might see how much God loves you and can walk with you through the middle of that. In fact, today, one of the questions I'm going to ask you to consider is if there was anything in the world that you would ask from God, what would it be? 
What would you ask from God if there was anything in the world you could ask, what would it be? For some of you, I know that you have asked, Lord, I'd love to be a mom. And for some reason, he's not answered that for you, and he's not met that desire. But I do pray in asking that question today and who we're going to look at who was asked that question, that again, I pray that the Lord would meet you uh, in your wound and that he would meet you in your hurt uh, and that you would know his love this morning. So we're going to jump in. Today we're in this thing uh, called the whole story. We're walking through the Bible all the way through this year. Uh, And today we actually uh, meet a character that the story doesn't tie real closely to Mother's Day. It actually might tie a little bit closer to Father's Day, but there's a lot of irony on Mother's Day in preaching about this person. Uh, Mother's Day actually emphasizes the story of Solomon. That's who we're going to look at. What do you know about Solomon? Who can tell me one thing about Solomon? What's he known for? Wisdom. And so one of the things that he's known for is wisdom. And I want you to know that he was known as the wisest man to ever live. But here's the irony of that for me. He had over 700 wives and 300 concubines. You can say whatever you want about how wise this man is. But if you have over 700 wives and 300 concubines, in my category, you're dumb as a stick. It has never been wise to have over 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can you imagine what Mother's Day and Valentine's Day were like for this guy? He did not think that one all the way through. Here's a little bit more to know about Solomon. He's the son of King David and Bathsheba. We looked at David and Bathsheba's story last week. For those of you who were here, uh, we saw and you noticed David's story, specifically his falling and committing adultery and murder. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered, had his, her husband murdered. He then went on to, he got her pregnant, and yet he's known as the man after God's own heart. Isn't that ironic? And today we're going to look at Solomon, his son. See, this is the beauty of Scripture for me. Sometimes the Bible just doesn't make sense. And also there are a lot of stories in the Bible we don't necessarily teach in Sunday school. Last week, David commits adultery, murders someone, and we know him as the man after God's own heart. This week, Solomon marries 700 women, 300 concubines, and yet is known as the wisest man to ever live. Scripture just doesn't make sense sometimes. Last week, my friend Nicole shared with you that David's humble repentance is why he was known after the, as the man after God's own heart. After his repentance, the child that he and Bathsheba uh, had during that adultery This child died in the way that God said that he would die. And in the middle of that, David repented and humbled himself before the Lord. Then David and Bathsheba were given another child, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon becomes king after David. 
So I want to introduce you today to Solomon. I want his life to challenge us a little bit. And because his story may not be as familiar to us as some other stories, I want to kind of give you a glimpse of how he came in to becoming king. David made a promise to Bathsheba that Solomon would be next in line and he would become king. Now this next bit of information may uh, fascinate you. It may be hard to believe. But when you have 700 wives and you have other children by those 700 wives, believe it or not, not all of those children will get along. I know that may be hard to believe, but there's another child that uh, David has through another mother, and these two children did not get along. In fact, this uh, other child, his name was Adonijah, and he makes an attempt to take the kingship from Solomon. He makes this attempt before David dies. David stops it appoints Solomon as king. Solomon forgives him, but then after David dies, Adonijah makes another attempt to take over the empire, and David and Solomon decides, okay, I'll put an end to this. He ends up killing his brother. There's some good sibling rivalry there. Here's what's really interesting about Solomon. Solomon is 12 years old when he becomes king of the empire. Can you imagine having a 12-year-old run the empire that you live in? Absolutely you can. Some of you live in that household right now. But here's a 12-year-old who is running the kingdom. And God comes to him and says to him, Solomon, what do you want from me? Solomon has an opportunity to ask for money, for power, for fame, for women, but he asked the Lord for wisdom. What I want, Lord, more than anything is wisdom to be able to rule this kingdom well. God was so pleased with what he asked for that he gave him the wisdom he requested. Twelve-year-olds, thirteen-year-olds, anyone around that age, I want you to hear me real clearly right now. At your early age, God hears you. God desires to hear what you want. He wants to answer that, and he especially wants to hear you when you ask of things from him that meet his heart's desire as well. And I want to encourage you, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, don't be afraid to ask him, Lord, this is what I desire. This is what I want. But let me ask all of us this question. If God gives you the opportunity today to ask him whatever it is on earth that you would want, what is it you would ask from him? What would you ask today from God? Solomon could have asked for money, could have asked for a new PlayStation, could ask for a brand new chariot, a new car, but he asked for wisdom. He could have asked for self-control, he could have asked for patience, he could have even asked for the ability to forgive, but he asked for wisdom. What is it that you would ask from the Lord? I want to encourage you to be brave enough to ask that this morning. The Lord, I believe, is asking us, what is it that you would want from me? So Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, that's different than knowledge. When I was 12, I was always asking the Lord, please give me some knowledge. Because I'm about to go into another test. I need knowledge. I need to know what's on this test. I need to be able to pass this. But knowledge and wisdom are different. Knowledge is the facts, 
and information that you gain. Wisdom is knowing how to best use that knowledge. Now, I find myself a lot of times around a lot of people who have a whole lot more knowledge than I do. There are just people, the way my brain is wired, I can't keep but certain amounts of things up here. And there are people I'm around who just have a whole lot more knowledge than I do. But they're not very wise because they don't know how to best use that knowledge. Instead, they live in pride of the knowledge that they have. A wise person can have far less knowledge than those around them, but be the smartest person in the room because you know how to use the knowledge that you have. Knowledge is good to have, but without wisdom, it's just information. Solomon had wisdom. He knew how to use the knowledge that was before him. He was also known as the king who brought peace. He was the one who had peace over Israel. And he was actually known to be able to use such wisdom and bring peace to situations. One of the most famous situations he's known for, you can read in 1 Kings chapter 3. And this is appropriate for Mother's Day because there's one night that these two women have a child. Both of them have a child on the same night. One of the children dies. And so the next day, they come and they both claim that the, ones, the child that died was the other one's child. And so the child that is still there, they're saying belongs to each of them. And so they bring this matter before King Solomon. And King Solomon, because there's no way to tell whose child it is at that early age and who they look like, King Solomon then thinks about this and comes to the mothers and says to them both, okay, what we're going to do and what will be fair is we're going to take the child and we're going to cut the child in half and each of you will have half the child. In proclaiming this, one of the mothers just screams out loudly, no, no. We cannot do this, begins to sob deeply and says, this mother can have the child. And instantly, Solomon knew who the true mother was. And so he took the child and gave it to the mother who was sobbing because a true mother would rather give the child away than for their child to be hurt. Wisdom, to be able to settle a matter like that. That's what Solomon was known for. I want to encourage you to get to know Solomon's story. You can read that story in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2, you read the story of him becoming king. Chapters 3 and 4, you hear about his wisdoms. Chapters 5 and 6, you actually see that he builds one of the great wonders of the world. He takes the charge from his dad. I want you to build the temple to God. And so you see in those chapters that he is the one who gets the temple to God built. And it's this glorious temple. But then you begin to read uh, a little bit further. And you see in chapters 9 and 10, you begin to see all the wealth that God gives him. Now, it's interesting when you read Solomon's story, you read about it in 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11. It's also good for you to read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs or the wisdom of Solomon. And so as you read his story in chapter 3 and 4, read Proverbs. Next week, I'm going to take a look with you at the book of Proverbs in, in this whole story. The other thing to read about as you read about his 700 wives, you actually find that here's a man who does know how to love even one. And so you need to read the book of Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. 
This is about how he sees love with another. But for today, I want to give you a glimpse of his life. I want you to see that he reigned with peace. He's very wise. He's the wealthiest king of time. Successful. He built the temple of God. He ruled Israel through a period of greatness. He was liked by all of his neighbors. He had everything going for him. Yet he didn't listen to one piece of advice that his dad, David, gave him. And because of that, I encourage you as well to read the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, the wealthiest man, as he summarizes all of life as being meaningless. So I want to dig into that part of the story today, but let's start with his words from his dad, David. You can read these in 1 Kings chapter 2. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. Son, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and whatever you do, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. And God's promise to David was, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So David's about to die. And the words he live, leaves with his son, be strong. I know you're 12, but act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands. Powerful words from a dad to his son. I had one of the great joys last night. Um, I did this for my son, and an early dad watched this in my life, and he invited me to be a part of this. I gathered with 10 other men last night around a, uh, a, a dinner um, outdoors and with one of the men's 16-year-old son. And he invited us as older men to come and to speak words of wisdom to his son who just turned 16. What a beautiful night. We each brought a little uh, gift for him that symbolized our words of counsel to him. This was a true blessing for this young man just to hear from older men, this is what we want to speak to you in life. If you've got young uh, sons, if you've got young daughters, I encourage you, create that environment uh, for them. Have older people speak into their life. They will never, ever forget it. But these are the words that David speaks to his son. Solomon, above everything else, Always be obedient to the Lord. Above everything else, be obedient to the Lord. You can read the rest of Solomon's life, and then you get to chapter 11, and this is what we find out about him. Verse 1 in chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they're surely going to turn your heart after other gods. 
Nevertheless, Solomon held fast in them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. He followed other gods. As he continued to grow older, he went against the counsel of his dad. And he began to follow other gods. And what happened in the middle of that, you actually get a glimpse of what happened to his heart in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8. Here's his conclusion to life. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. This was his attitude because he lost sight of God and God's ways. He began to listen to his wives and worship other gods instead. And here's what we can learn. What we can learn from this is you can have all the knowledge in the world, but without wisdom, it's just information. You can have all the wisdom in the world, but without obedience to God, life is meaningless. As Solomon grew older, the wisest man in the world concluded that the counsel of his dad was correct. And so as he began to reflect back on his life, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The wisest man on the earth went through a very horrible life to a point of seeing it was all meaningless. Instead, he should have taken the counsel of his dad that obedience is the greatest thing of all. The king that had all wisdom, lots of knowledge, plenty of money, more than enough women, everything he needed concluded that obedience to God is most important. He realized that his father's counsel was true, but because he didn't listen to it, life just became meaningless. So I want to help us to walk away from here with some practical things that we can take into our own lives. But that's the story that we're looking at. Here's the first thing I want you to grab a hold of. First thing is keep the status quo. I made that up. It's pretty creative, isn't it? Keep the status quo. K is for knowledge. W for wisdom. O for obedience. No matter how great knowledge is, wisdom is better. No matter how wonderful wisdom is, obedience is best. So we've got to keep those in order. Obedience to the ways of God is what keeps life meaningful. But yet we look at our circumstances, our situations, we look at events, we look at people, money, we look at all of these things as things that are going to give life meaning. But obedience to God is the only thing that gives our life meaning. So stop allowing circumstances and other people's decisions. Stop allowing your financial situation dictating whether your life has meaning or not. 
realize that even when things aren't going well, when things are hard, when suffering is around, when your financial situation is not good, realize your obedience to God in the middle of that situation is truly what gives life meaning. Even in David's uh, failure and his adultery, he then became obedient to the Lord and followed the way of repentance. And because he was obedient in repentance, it gave life meaning again. We want money and power. God wants obedience. We want peace and perseverance. God wants obedience. We want happiness and comfort. God wants obedience. The second thing we can notice in this is God's counsel is to help us guard our hearts. The words of Solomon, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You see, when we think of God's counsel, a lot of times we think of God's counsel as wanting to limit us and hurt us, but we've got to remember that God is for us. As much as God's ways seem to feel that they're limiting us, they're always there to guard us. When we think about God wanting obedience, we think that he doesn't have our best in mind. He just wants us to be his slaves. God wants what's best for us, and he knows your obedience to him is the route to that. The third thing I want you to recognize in this story is your ability to resist is far less than you think. You see, Solomon didn't begin with hundreds of wives. He began with one. And then he began to believe, okay, I won't fall into what God is talking about in worshiping other gods if I take on a few more. And then he's fine, he takes on a few hundred more. And over time, he begins to find himself unable to resist in the ways that he thought. From age 14 to 16, I found my identity in alcohol. Showing up at school even, intoxicated, trying to be the cool guy. At age 16, I was arrested for drinking and driving, and God used that event to call me to follow him. That's when I chose to follow Christ, was after that event. From age 16 to age 37, I never touched one drop of alcohol. Those of you going into college, you may believe the rumor that you're going to get drunk, you have to get drunk, there's partying all through college, you don't have to. I and hundreds of my friends at North Carolina State University walked all the way through college encouraging each other and never touched a drop of alcohol. I didn't touch it because I knew that my life before meeting Christ was dictated by this substance. And I didn't want anything to get close to dictating my life than my obedience and my following of Christ. At age 37, uh, I began this journey of the Lord freeing me in the sense of this doesn't control your life anymore. How can you appreciate it? And so since the age of 37, I've had a rule in my own life that I will never have more than two drinks at a day in any setting. Now, they're really big drinks. They're like, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I limit myself in that because I know that my ability to resist is less than I think it is. And so I'm going to stay far away from the line in order to just to say to the Lord, I want to appreciate something. I don't want to abuse it. And I want to be obedient to you more than anything. It's also why I'll never meet with a person of the opposite sex in a private setting. 
because I don't want to push any temptation in my own heart and think that I can resist something that I can't. We are unable to resist as much as we might think we can. So I want to ask you, what is the thing in your own life that you know you're pushing the boundary on? How would you back it up? How would you back that line up? Not out of trying to just say, okay, I've got to be right before God, but as a way of saying, the greatest thing for me is obedience before the Lord. You know, and even backing up those lines for myself, it gives my life meaning. That the meaningfulness in my life is to always obey the Lord. The fourth thing I want us to see is our obedience comes from faith in Jesus. You see, God required obedience from Solomon. And Solomon knew that that obedience had to come out of him and his will of power. But today, after Jesus has come, our obedience doesn't come from our willpower. Our obedience comes from faith in Jesus. Romans 1.5, the author Paul, he's saying this. He says, through Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. What Paul is saying is when we think about obedience and faith, we sometimes think that our faith will grow as we are obedient. It's actually the opposite. As your faith grows, your obedience grows. It starts with our faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus is what empowers us to be obedient to him. Our goal is not to be more obedient. Our goal is to be faithful to Jesus and to grow in love with him. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If so, let that faith lead you to obedience. Do you believe that he died on the cross to free you from sin and you no longer have to live under the power of sin? If you believe that, let that faith lead you to obedience. Do you believe that he died and he rose from the dead to free us to be able to live obediently? If so, then let that faith lead you to obedience. We're not called to be obedient out of our own power. We are called to be obedient out of what Christ has already done. It's why the church is also called all over the world to regularly remember the death of Jesus. It is the death of Jesus that empowers us to be obedient. It's why we stop today and we receive communion. So in the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts. This is the guidance that the scriptures actually give us as we come and we remember the death of Jesus that we would first stop and that we would reflect. And so as you bow your head, and as I'm about to ready to lead us in receiving communion, as you bow your head, I would ask you to think these questions. Have your heads bowed. I'd ask you to confess before the Lord. Lord, these are ways that I've not chosen obedience. Would you speak those places to the Lord? 